a look at spiritual warfare and how to win next on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard. The fact that we are in a spiritual battle goes without saying. The question is, who is our adversary? Who is it that we fight against? We may think it's people around us, but at the end of the day, our true adversary is the one we will meet today in Ephesians chapter 6. Meet your adversary, the devil. That's the title of today's broadcast here on Truth For Today as we continue our survey of Ephesians. Again, chapter 6 is where we find ourselves. Join us for today's broadcast of Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Here now is Pastor Phil Howard. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Uh, we begin a section that uh, is fitting to a book that says we're so rich in Christ. We're seated in the heavenlies in him in chapter one. And he's been telling us in chapter four on how to walk and live out the Christian life in a fallen world. And he's, he's been giving us all these commands of how the Christian life ought to look. He finally concludes the book by saying, and remember there is an opponent, an opponent to you living this kind of life. Uh, the submission of the woman in marriage, let's say, the, the loving leadership of a husband, uh, the not stealing, the not lying, the not letting anger go down on your wrath. All these rather straightforward, clear commands that look so easy, easy to understand, hard to obey. And he says, I want you to be aware there is a cosmic force, a real person, a real adversary that opposes you living the Christian life. And he will try to knock you down, knock you over, and gain a victory over you. And so he begins to tell us the Christian life must know how to stand in God's power against this wicked opponent, 
Satan and his demonic host. Now, uh, I thought we would take today and we just give a little uh, background on the devil. Uh, and I'm not talking about relatives. I'm talking about a real person here. Uh, I'm talking about Satan himself. And, you know, we have such weird images. If Satan was here today, <clears throat> I, if he made himself manifest, all of you would line up to meet him. Because you would find out he would be the most, uh, the most beautiful person here. And he'd be the smartest person here. And he's nothing like what the Halloween cartoons have made him to be. Matter of fact, he's never been to hell. Sometimes you hear people pray, I, I send you back to hell, casting out demons. He's never been there. I wish he was. He's in the air. He's never yet been incarcerated. That's in the future. And so we have this spirit being loose in the universe that has influenced one-third of the uh, spirit world to follow him, has this incredible network, and has an FBI file on every one of us. He knows every quirk about you, probably, every moody day, and he knows what works on you. He knows how to get to each of us. And so it's a scary thing to realize that I'm up against an opponent in my Christian life that I don't have a chance in a million of ever conquering. We never conquer Satan. The goal is not to be conquered. God himself will have to conquer Satan. He is of such mighty power compared to our weak power. And so I want to give a little biblical uh, history of this personage, and maybe we could see the dynamic that works in him and how he'll use his tricks on you. And next week we'll look at his methods of defeating the Christian life. And we'll look at his strategies. And they're old, they're effective, and we need to understand them. Uh, let me tell you some things about him. Uh, he is viewed in Scripture as a person. He was a real person that tempted Christ. Christ never thought of him as mythological, uh, as the invention of a culture. He was a real person, came to Christ, tempted him in the wilderness for 40 days. He was casting out demons, the maniac of Gadara. So there's no question in the biblical account that Satan and his demonic host exist. It's not mythological. It's not, uh, uh, you know, folklore. He's a real person. He's incorporeal. He doesn't have a body. He's a spirit being. It's wonderful to know he's not omnipotent and he's not omniscient. Sometimes we empower him too much, but he is a strong, powerful spirit being. Matter of fact, Michael, the archangel, would not even rebuke Satan in a fallen state because he recognized the greatness of his power. But he said, the Lord rebuked thee, Jude 9. So in a fallen state, Michael knew that he was up against a great power in Satan. Um, let me just tell you some of the biblical names, uh, and I'm just introducing here just to, you'll hear these many titles. He's called the anointed cherub, prince of this world, prince of the power of the air. He's called the God, the very God of this age in 2 Corinthians. The God of the age is called Satan. He's called Lucifer, and we'll be looking at that in Isaiah, which means shining one, 
the, the dawning of the day, uh, a beautiful name, and Lucifer, the beautiful name, became something other than that name. Satan. What does Satan mean? It means adversary, opposer. That's what its root meaning is. Devil. Devil means slanderer. You like to run people down? You're doing devil's work. According to 1 Timothy, he told young women that in their unmarried state as young widowed women, he said, be sure you don't get involved in being she-devils or she-slanderers. And so slandering is the name and the meaning of devil. Old serpent, great dragon, the evil one. There's many titles. The destroyer. He is the deceiver of the nations. And uh, some of the chief occupations uh, he's engaged in is he is the tempter. He is the seductive one. He has traps and bait by which he works on us. And I would recommend if you want some fun reading to read Lewis's screw tape letters. You'll, you'll laugh and cry and you'll see the pictures maybe. Um, he is the uh, uh, one that you have to deal with in temptation. Now what's scary, if there were no devil, you'd have problems. Because you have a sin nature. We've got three enemies as a believer. One, if we just locked up the devil and threw away the key for all the tricks he's played on me, uh, I'd still have problems just with me. I'm a sinner without the devil. Are you aware of that? And the, you blame everything on the devil, but did you know the heart is full of all kinds of stuff that de the devil doesn't even produce? He doesn't have to. Um, but he is a tempter. He is an accuser of God and his people. And I think that's something you need to be aware of. Satan never accuses his own. He only accuses God or the saints. And I think it's one of the tricks you find out. Once you become a Christian for a while, you'll have uh, believers attacked in your mind. Uh, what's wrong with the saints? Uh, he never, never does bother me and tell me what's wrong with uh, the hell's angels. He doesn't. He never attacks me about what's wrong with the local bartender. It's always what's wrong with one of you. There is a strategy. Anything that's connected with God, he is going to accuse eventually. And all you need to see is Zechariah 3 to find that narrative. Uh, and I think one of the scariest things, and we'll look at it as we develop the study, is this is scary and, and I don't think you'll buy this, but he is a deceiver in which he is so much smarter than you, he can get you to do stuff you never thought you would do for reasons you never thought you'd do it for because he's smarter than all human beings. And he's able to deceive you. And to be a deceiver, you normally have to be smarter than the one you're deceiving. And he is brilliant at deception. He has deceiving doctrines, deceiving teachers, deceiving uh, teachings. It's an amazing thing that if he was not good at deception, we would not be in the mess we're in as the human race. We would have never eaten the fruit from the tree. But he's a master at it. Well, uh, listen to what some of the uh, uh, 
present day opinions uh, as though they have any weight. But if you want to hear what some say, Edgar Breitman says, no present day system of philosophy gives any place to the diabolos of scripture. There is no present philosophy today, they would say, that even admits there is a devil. Unity, uh, Christian science, uh, so many religions. There is no place for the devil. And philosophy, the devil, you're into um, a medieval mysticism. So just thought you'd want to know that. J.I. Packer said, the toothy red imp with tail and trident has become a secular figure of fun, and many theologians have banished a personal devil to the realm of myth. Another says, until the age of the Enlightenment, and that's between 1650 and 1780, belief in an objectivized personal devil and his minions was all but universal amongst theologians. Today, however, it is generally recognized that belief in Satan the leader of the fallen angels, etc., is not a satisfactory answer to the problem of evil. Alan Richardson said that. Well, since we're biblicists and we take God's word for things and not what the San Francisco Chronicle says, let's look at the Bible, okay? Let's go back to Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Ezekiel and Isaiah both give a description of a king, the king of Tyre. And as they're describing the earthly monarch, they begin to go into language that goes beyond that monarch, and there's something behind him. And it's not an uncommon practice in scripture that when you read Psalms, oh, maybe um, I, I wrote down the exact Psalms, let me, um, Psalm 72, Psalms 110, that there was a present application to that writer, to David, Asaph, whoever. But many times while they were describing something going on then, there was a prophecy in it about the Messiah. Uh, your son shall sit on the throne. Well, one applied to Solomon, but there was many times a far-reaching promise that Messiah would come. Or you even see it in Matthew 16 where Christ is talking to Peter, but he's rebuking the devil, and then he resumes talking to Peter. So get behind me, Satan. Well, who's Satan, Peter or Satan? There's a mixture sometimes, and so many scholars say, we're right to say that behind the king, we're now going to the power that's behind the king, which is not an earthly monarch, but a spirit being, a spirit being described as Lucifer, uh, who becomes Satan. So let's look. We'll begin in verse uh, 11 of uh, Ezekiel 28. Been prophesying against the king of Tyre. And then he begins in verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You are the model of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. This was never true of the earthly monarch. He was never perfect. But he's going to another being. You were in Eden, the garden of God, and the king of Tyre had never been in Eden. Either the one of Genesis 3 
Or many scholars understand this to be the Eden, literally at the throne of God. They think it's a reference to paradise. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub. Now, that cannot apply to the king. This is a different being. For so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until the wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who were watching. Let's, uh, let's begin a little insight of the study here. What can we learn about Satan here? First of all, his perfection. Uh, notice that verse 12. You are the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. If I understand scripture right, Satan is the wisest being God ever made. Satan. And if I understand scripture, he's the most beautiful creature he ever made. Now remember, God the Son wasn't created. The Holy Spirit wasn't created. But when they begin to make things, they made spirit beings before they made the physical universe. They made spirit beings before Adam and Eve. Satan shows up in the Garden of Eden already corrupted in nature. So, is it not an amazing thing that our opponent, our adversary to our Christian life, he majors in beauty and wisdom? Which says that his hallmark conquests are in the realm of beauty and wisdom, not producing the local town drunk. See, that's not his masterpiece. Oh, the devil produced that drunk. Did you know if there were no devil, there would be drunks? The sin nature will make a drunk out of you that neither God nor the devil would want to claim you. I think you make yourself a drug addict. You don't need the devil doing it. Because the devil wants to produce wise, sophisticated, handsome, good-looking products those are his best pieces of work. They are the most like him. For he appears as an angel of light. Never does he appear in scripture scary looking. He acts like a dragon. He acts like a lion. But when he shows up, there's an overwhelming beauty to this creature that even in his fallen state, he is so wise, it simply has become demonized. And James says there's heavenly wisdom and there's demonic wisdom. And so Satan has wise methods, schemes, procedures. And he says right here, you were perfect in beauty. Magnificent in wisdom when I made you. 
Where were you? Look at his preexistence. You were in Eden, the garden of God. We're not sure. We don't think this is Genesis 3. It's probably because he was way back, even before physical creation. And some take this as an Old Testament reference to God's throne room, a paradise there. In other words, you're way back there. I made you close to my surrounding throne. You came right from there. You pre-existed all the physical universe. You've been around a long time. Uh, it's interesting, as he portrays this being, that he is, uh, uh, there must be a feminine side to him because he's decked out in jewels. Ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Wow, it must have been some, if he's the shining one, I don't know if that just emanates from him being an angelic being or all the jewelry on him. But, I mean, what a picture of this creature decked out. Something that's very interesting, uh, you wouldn't know it from an NIV Bible. It says, your settings and mountings were of gold on the day you were created. Now notice that the devil was created. He's a creature. He's not he doesn't have any of the attributes of God. He's a creature. But this word for your settings and mountings, uh, if you look at the marginal reading of like a New American, the literal Hebrew word says, uh, it stands for tambourines and flutes. So he was our first musician. Your tambourines and your flutes were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. That's quite a thought, isn't it? To think that maybe Satan was the first musician God ever made. Maybe that's where that line came from, that when the devil was cast out of heaven, he was cast down to the choir. I don't know. Uh, but he obviously was made to do some things. And here it would say he had a musical ability. If this is, these Hebrew words are to be taken that way, because here it just tells you what they're made of. But in the Hebrew, it tells you tambourines and flutes. And he was, had the ability to make music clad in all this magnificent stones and beautiful and wise. And then notice his position. Um, you were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. Now, when something's anointed in the Bible, uh, a lot of times that word gets overworked. We're anointing everything, and we don't even know what it means. Uh, when you had a prophet, priest, or king in the Old Testament, at the point of initiating them into their office... When you're going to make Saul the king or David the king, they anointed them. And what they did, they poured oil on them that was symbolic that they were being initiated into their office. And they're being set apart. And we use it today as uh, give them power, give them, uh, we've made it a kind of a synonym word for many things. But biblically, they were being initiated, set apart for something. 
special function before the people of God. And here he says, God himself anointed this spirit being a, a cherub. And as you see in the Bible, if there is truly a hierarchy of angels and you've got cherub and seraphim and principal, thrones, dominions, principalities and powers, if there are six ranks of angels, if that is true, some say so, some say not, whatever, he is set apart in a special category from all other. And he did say cherubim. He's the anointed cherub, one, only one of a kind. And he was anointed to be a guardian of the throne room of God, kind of a bodyguard, an angelic bodyguard that in essence, spirit beings had to pass through him is the picture before they gained access to God. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our series is called God's Design for Your Life. As we close the program out, we would invite you to contact us if you would like to obtain a copy for yourself of either today's message or the entire series. Call us today, 855-833-9864. Again, information can be had at 855 833 33-9864, or simply visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. If you would like a copy of today's program, a prayer request, maybe you would like to partner with us financially, we would love to hear from you. Call, drop by our website, or write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, and the zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today, and until next time, God bless.